0: All right, so I'm just gonna take a moment here to introduce the show, then I will have you come in. You let us know uh, what it is you do. And let me make sure this is recording. Okay, it is recording. Um, And then you will let us know what it is you do, then we will get into the various topics. Okay. Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to take this time now to welcome you back to another episode of 18 Avenue Podcast. If this is your first time on this channel, uh, please know that uh, here on 18 Avenue Podcast is a network that explores new culture and the people who live them daily. Um, so if that is your cup of tea, then you definitely tune into the right podcast. Uh, thank you for coming and uh, I am your host, Rico Bottles. All right, and today joining me here is my special guest, Judy Chang and uh here in a moment now you will get to know her better welcome to the show judy how are you
1: thanks Rico. thanks for having me um i'm great my name is judy chin i'm a welder here in vancouver bc okay and uh it's just what i do full-time right on uh i was born in taiwan Uh, my family moved here in 1997 so i've been here for 23 years Um, my dad has moved back since, um, but the rest of us are still here.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Um, and what would you say you were like, um, in high school?
1: In high school, I was, I was a perfectionist. Everything needed to be straight A's, you know, overachiever AP classes, whatever I could get my hands on. Cause I had ambition to go to a university and get a degree, but you know, it it didn't end up that way. But uh, (laughs) that's what I was like in high school, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, you set these dreams and sometimes you have to uh, reevaluate your dreams and set new goals, right? Definitely. Um, What lessons would you say that you've learned now that you will give to your high school self?
1: I would say to stop focusing on, on grades, honestly. I know, I know it's not what usually someone tells students, um, but grades aren't everything. Especially here in Canada, opportunities are everywhere. Even if you don't have great grades, even if you don't have your high school diploma. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a good idea to get your high school diploma, but it's not the be all and end all. Got it.
0: Got it. Do you consider yourself, um, an upper class or middle class person?
1: Uh, I recently entered the middle class tax bracket. Um, I made over thirty grand for the first time two years ago, so I was struggling for the decade before that. Okay. Definitely.
0: So, so welcome to the class.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, so, one of the things that you know I wanted to touch up on here, and you know, just kind of get into real quickly. Um, I see that you, you, do, you make a lot of posts um, on various subjects, you know, one of the first one that caught my attention was, I mean, since we were able to link up online, uh, one of the first things that caught my attention was the situation with the hospital and, you know, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what that was all about?
1: Yeah, so basically I went in for some testing at a, a hospital that's local to me in New Westminster. Mm-hmm. And I was told by the by the examiner that my results would be ready in seven days. So after seven days um, came and gone, it's been 10 days, no one has called me about my test results. You know, mm-hmm. I thought I would go to the hospital and find out what my results were. I called the hospital first to make sure that is the protocol since I don't have an ordering physician. Um, so right now with the COVID, it's really hard. You walk in and there is a hand sanitizing station where they put a nurse there. And what the nurse will do is they'll screen you for COVID. They'll ask you if you had a fever, all the routine questions, right? right. Mm-hmm. So I say the same thing to her. I said, Hey, I got a test on 10 business days ago. They said my results would be ready in seven days. I'm just here to gather my results. And she looks at me and she says, we don't have it mm. and and keep in mind this nurse doesn't have she's not a clerk she does not have a laptop in front of her she is standing there with hand sanitizer and i was uh, and i said well i was told by the operator that i would have to come in in person to get the results and she looks at me and she says you can keep talking but no matter what you say will not change the results of this. We don't have your result. You need to leave. And I, I wasn't expecting that whatsoever. I, and I tried to explain to her, you know, I was like the, the examiner said, you know, by seven days, my results would be in. And she said, no, if you had come in two days, then we would have had your results, but it's been 10 days. We don't have it anymore. Okay. Which makes no sense. Right. Hmm. So I, I, and I tried to explain to her my situation, how I, I don't have a physician in the hospital to get the results from. And then she just kept saying, you can keep talking, you can keep talking, but it's just gonna be a waste of time because it's not going to change my mind and you can't come in. So by that point, I, I took an Uber home, um, didn't get my results that day. And uh, I lodged a complaint with the hospital but um, I did eventually get my result, which was a really crucial one in a diagnosis. So she was standing in the way of that. For what reason, I don't know.
0: Do you think that it was just a matter of misunderstanding or was this like, what do you think it was all about?
1: I don't think it was a misunderstanding. Um, going over it with my nursing friends, none, no one has ever heard of such treatment. I wasn't even allowed to talk to the department that, took, uh, that did the exam in the first place or the testing, I was not able to talk to my doctor. She stood in the way of me entering the hospital. I didn't even get to step foot to talk to a clerk. Wow,
0: yeah, well, I I sincerely apologize to hear that. Um, Yeah, things, and I'm not sure too how to go about that because on one hand, I'm thinking maybe it was extra safety procedures. On the other hand, I'm thinking, well, it was just a matter of if she didn't have a computer in front of her how could she possibly know who you were and to be able to tell you that your information are not in unless she has this incredible memory where she's able to she remembers every single patient that go through that hospital
1: yeah it wasn't her role to be looking at my test results nor was it her role her role was just to screen whoever has covid to not be able to come in right i wasn't allowed to come in even right. though I've been i I've been going to the hospital for the last month, really just trying to get shit figured out, you know,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, I apologize for that. Okay, so we're going to move on to personal experience with racism. Um, would you say that aside from that situation, you have experienced racism personally.
1: Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Um, anything from microaggression to volon for verbal assaults on the streets. Yeah,
0: Wow. Um, would you care to give us one instant?
1: Um, I'll give you an early one. So when I first moved here, I was eight. Um, I was ESL for maybe about two years. Um, I wasn't fluent in any way. And uh, some kids in class accused me of stealing. Mm -hmm. And I I had no language to speak for myself because I, I actually didn't steal anything. But, um, I got reprimanded for stealing because I couldn't defend myself. And, uh, these, uh, English speaking kids had an upper hand on me. They could mm-hmm. make accusations without me having a voice.
0: Are people willing to engage in a conversation of racism or like, how, how is that working out?
1: I think people are trying. I think this is the first time I've seen. A notable amount of people trying, you know, trying to put aside their own discomfort to try. But before that, definitely, it's not an easy thing. Um, people don't willingly do it because pe- people hate the label of racists. You know, right. they don't want to talk about racism because to talk about racism is to admit that you have that you benefit from racism. Right. You know, so people aren't people aren't that open, but you know, it's getting out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh that's that's interesting. Um so you mentioned that uh to benefit from it is to acknowledge that it's there, basically. Um when you look at like what's going on right now, I know one of the um uh, the PM uh, came out and accused one of the other PM member about racism. And right. we, yeah, we seen what happened um following that where he got dismissed. I'm not sure if for how long, but, um, and then of course there was another news that came out again, another PM member asking him to apologize for his statement. Um, how do you think that reflects on people of, you know, minority that are in position in power? How do you think that them looking at that will react going forward. Would that be something that encourages them to come forward and want to openly want to talk about racism within the department or whatever the case may be?
1: I think from a minority's point of view, watching Jagmeet Singh get kicked out of parliament, um, or at least for the day, and then to be asked to apologize. For me personally, it's. it reflects a lot of our struggles. I I definitely relate to it. When he choked up at the meeting afterwards, I felt it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think it, it's garnering a lot of empathy. A lot of people know where he's coming from. A lot of people understand the struggle in trying to be heard in a white supremacist system. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it would inspire others to come forward, but, um, I definitely don't think it was right for him to be a kicked out and B to have to apologize is either one or the other. He could apologize on the day of and stay in the meeting. Right. Or he could be kicked out for the day. You don't ask for both.
0: Right. But so why do you think the decision was made to keep um, to kick him out. Do you think that was like a right decision to kind of like you know because i mean he's a parliament member <laughs> it's like
1: yeah yeah right um yeah. <laughs> i don't think it was the right i don't think it was the right decision i think it was a knee-jerk reaction there's right. nothing worse than a white person being called a racist they think it's worse than being racist right so right. when you call someone a racist it's it if everyone gets offended and then the conversation about racism goes out the window it's just, right yeah, they oh. still cannot, they can't face it yet.
0: <laughs> so it's just a thing that's extremely hard to face right now. Uh, but I'm kind of, you know, much like yourself, I have noticed a huge amount of people are willing to come out and talk about it. I've been covering some of the protests and I've seen um, their, their willingness to want to do something about it you know, in it, and you can't hit people for their effort. And I really do appreciate that. It made me feel like for the first time at home somewhat. You know what I mean? Definitely. So it's like we're speaking the same language now. Uh, yeah. Moving forward. So personal life, I mean, you're absolutely free. I mean, your your opinion here on this podcast is not going to get you into trouble or anything like that. Not at all. Okay. Not at all all right. Because I need to make sure. Um, how much do you know about the indigenous community? I'm about to move into that and also move into George Floyd.
1: My understanding is, I would say it's not as deep as it should be. Um, before welding, I did work as a mental health worker in Vancouver's downtown east side for a couple of years. Okay. And that's my close, I haven't watched the video. Oh, you have okay. No, I stopped, I stopped watching videos of black men get murdered a few years ago. It was a conscious decision. I don't think it's good to be putting it out there, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't think snuff films, does anyone any good, like if you need a film like that to convince you that systemic racism exists, you are either, you got your blinders on your whole life or something, you know what I mean? Like, Like minority groups have been telling everyone for years, decades, centuries that systemic racism exists, the violence that they endure. Like, I don't need to see a video to be convinced of that. And if you need to constantly see videos of Black people dying to know, sorry, or <laughs> I can't help you. you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, why do you think that uh, the denial is still there? Why do you think that this resistant to believe that racism is there or that, you know, even at workplace, like you said, people would say, oh, no, get out of here. That didn't mean anything. That's not what he meant by it or whatever the case might be, right? Um, why do you think that there's this, this is deep in denial because me being a minority can relate to another minority, pain, even though he's all the way down in Switzerland? Definitely. It doesn't make a difference to me, right? As long as I'm like, okay, oh, I, I can relate to that instantly, but it just seems like on the other side, when it come on the line of Caucasian people and, and white people, they just can't wrap their head around that.
1: I think they have a, such a hard time with it is because I think humans instinctively they like to think of themselves as good, mm-hmm. as good people, right? So if you're a good person, how can you be racist, right? right? Or if you're a good person, how can you see, how can you, you know, a lot of people are just feel a lot of guilt for not um, getting involved sooner. I see a lot of that happening right now okay. like how could i after all these years not seen the, the racism that other people are talking about how have i not recognized it personally and then that reflects back on them personally and they have to stop thinking of themselves as individuals mm-hmm. i think the individualism of north american countries such as canada and united states really fails that because you everyone wants to be puritanical you know they want to be good doing but mm-hmm if they're complicit in racism just means may mean that they're not. And that's okay. Like me and you know, that's okay. You know, Right. Right. For, for them, it's very self condemning and for them, it's awful. It's like the most hard thing that can happen is to even be complicit in racism.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have to agree with that point. Um, I have to confess to something here and it may sound super strange, but, I remember when I was in grade 10, I made a friend, I made a friend, her name was Erica. And it's funny because Erica was from the reserve. At that time, I was somewhat still fresh into the country. I have been here for a few years now, but I was somewhat still fresh. I wasn't familiar with the reserve or whatever it was. And she would tell me this, uh, try to explain the situation to me about the reserve, about how they didn't have proper Running water, uh, you know, the educational system is all out of whack and all the difficulties. And she's telling me this thing, but I can't see that because I'm thinking, hey, I just came to Canada. You know, I have a house over my head, I have a roof over my head, fresh clothes to wear. Like, what is she talking about? So I, I've been thinking lately if perhaps that's sort of like what, um, you know, Caucasian people, white people may. Like the good ones, not the racist one, because they, I feel like I feel like they know what they're doing. Uh, but like the good one, like my friends, for instance, I feel like if that was kind of like the, you know, this obliviousness that they, they laid in, the same obliviousness that I sort of demonstrated to Erica when she told me about the reserve when I wasn't listening because I was like, what are you talking about? This is Canada. Everybody, what do you mean? You don't have drinking water. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you think that maybe that's kind of like what it is this detachment and the fact that it's not taught in school at all?
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, I was talking about some indigenous issues with um a colleague 2 days ago and he said, "You know what? Honestly, I just don't know enough about the situation." And that's, you know, and he he admitted to his ignorance, so he mm-hmm. can't talk on it, which right. is great cuz you know, if you don't know it, don't have an opinion on it, kind of thing, right? Right. right. But yeah, I definitely do see that because it's not something that they're confronted with every day. They don't see it, they don't struggle with it. Mm -hmm. So to them, it's almost like it doesn't exist.
0: Right. Yeah, and I almost feel, I don't know, a part of me, I can't get mad at my friends because they don't know. We learn about the Holocaust. Did you guys learn about the Holocaust? Did you cover any, any black history in school or any indigenous history in school, like in high school?
1: Ooh, no black history barely any indigenous history like very barely okay. like how, oh they came over and a lot of them died and residential schools mentioned maybe in one sentence in a textbook and that was it and that was
0: pretty much it um and okay. how was uh how was that compared to like the holocaust was that something you learned about as well like did you learn about the holocaust
1: not particularly everybody knows what the holocaust is okay. just because of how how big an event it was and okay you know, but how it's remembered. Um, but as a school curriculum, just a little blip again. Okay,
0: and, and I'm now we're going to move into homelessness. Test, and I want to ask you some questions regarding and I'm not sure how, how familiar you are with this. Do you, are you familiar at all with the, uh, the you know, the, the homelessness rate um, of indigenous people in Canada compared to say white Canadians.
1: I do know that it's over uh, presented um, indigenous peoples make up about four or 5% of the population, but they do make up about 10% of the homelessness population. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's fair. Um, I actually was reading one out of, one out of every 15 indigenous person will wind up homeless compared to one out of every 100 Canadian will wind up homeless. So that's like a huge sometime problem. in
1: their life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what do you think that we can do, uh, or that Canada can do to resolve some of this problem?
1: I honestly think that Canada would have to want to resolve the situation. I don't think they do.
0: You don't think they want I to? I don't,
1: I don't know. Not not in their actions. I don't <laughs> think that they do. So I think I think for Canada to resolve the homelessness issue they would want to have to actually care. Okay.
0: And you don't think yeah. they care about. Right? What makes you say oh, that? No. What make you think they don't care?
1: <laughs> I've been worked in the downtown east side for I mean I only I was only there for 2 years, but it is my community and um there has been no action. Homelessness just goes the number goes up every year and there's a lot of talk while everyone keeps dying, right? They talk, mm-hmm. we die. And then it's just the uh, I don't there's no actions taken. So, I mean, if if they say they care, then show me of action, right? Right,
0: okay, that's fair enough. Um, would you then say that they've forgotten their indigenous people, or is that too soon to call that yet?
1: I don't I don't think they've forgotten because forgotten seems like seems like something that was missed, you know. Whereas I think for them, it's easy to ignore it, you know. As long as long as everyone is are able to operate even on a very poverty level you know struggling but as Mm -hmm. long as there's no big big kerfuffle you know Mm -hmm. big uprising about it and they can just kind of turn a blind eye then they're happy to Mm -hmm. i feel like it's intentional they're forgetting is intentional
0: i mean i practically grew up here so just looking back now with canada having all this issue at home from homelessness i think it's estimated that over One million children go to bed every hungry every day in uh, in Canada, right? Um, So from homelessness to the you know people living um, beyond the poverty line, and even able-bodied, like qualified trade workers or qualified people that have done something in school education, education education-wise, not being able to find a job. Yet still, we see Canada continuing to bring in an influx of immigrants uh my question to you is should canada continue to bring in more immigrants and why do you think that um that has been their approach why are they bringing in more immigrants when we have people here that can use that assistance
1: well the people who are unemployed who are able-bodied if they are out of a job let's say in their sector let's say a tradesman's out of a job right um, he isn't pigeonholed to just taking on trade jobs. He could take on other jobs. Right. Um, unemployment is a problem in more rural communities all, all amongst Canada because, um, they are quite remote. Mm-hmm. I do know that in the lower mainland here, at least in BC, the, the unemployment rates about 6% so it is, I think it is the lowest out of the entire country. Okay um they keep on bringing in immigrants because you know they got number crunchers working for the government and to them it's a lot more it's better for the economy to bring in immigrants because every immigrant that's working here is a taxpayer and Mm -hmm. uh, canadians aren't having babies as at the same rate as all the other countries we don't have a growth we don't have a population growth Mm -hmm. based on just citizens so they're bringing in they're bringing in people with degrees. They're pre- bringing in people's skills. They're bringing in production workers. Um, just to keep it going. If you don't have people, then your economy goes down. And that's what all these number crunchers decided is that this is the best for us to keep afloat. This to bring in immigrants.
0: Um, how much of this um, reality, do you think that the Canadians are actually aware of in terms of how this process work with immigration because i think a lot of Canadians feel like immigrants are just pouring into the country like the government is just paying for these people to come in when in reality that's not really the case at all some people are paying thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of dollars um to come into this country to come in and live here and having to leave um you know some of them are doctors the engineers mm-hmm. they're having to come here under the pretense that um you know they would get a better job once they get here. But one of the things that they're not told is that perhaps um, once they get here, they would have to do upgrade and all these different things. In most cases, they have families, you know, they can't just sit around and go sit in a classroom. They have to find something to do in the meantime. Uh, How much of this education line do you think that Canadians actually know about what it is the government is doing?
1: The average Canadian knows nothing about the immigration process. I've spoken to many people about the immigration process and they tend to conflate refugees with immigrants. Right. To them it's it's one and the same, right? To them right. it's one and the same because they've never actually looked into it. And even less people have looked into the requirements needed to even apply for immigration. Right. You know. So what what nations like Canada do is we brain drain other nations. So mm-hmm. what we do is we take their young, resilient, mm-hmm. talented and educated mm-hmm. to come over here to better our country. But the misconception that all immigrants tend to be the refugee seeking immigrants is wrong. And that's actually really based on racism. They see someone of color and they think poor, right, right. They see some color they, they see unskilled So this, this racist view really skews what they know about immigration. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can see that because I had a guy at work one time, there was a discussion going on on the side of me uh, between these two, uh, two immigrants guys. And, uh, and he looked at me, he's like, yeah, you guys get paid way too much. I said, why do you say that? He's like, well, aren't you guys from the Congo? I was like, oh, what make you think I'm from the Congo? And why do you, what make you think that we should, we get paid too much? He said, well, in the Congo, for instance, you get paid like what, like a dollar a day, and you come here and you're making like, why 30 something dollars an hour, like you get, you get paid way too much. So, so I said to him, <laughs>
1: You don't live in the Congo, <laughs> Rico, exactly. <you're> in Alberta,
0: <laughs> right? I was, like, I was like, first of all, I'm not from the Congo. Secondly, like, <laughs> uh, thirdly, thirdly, you know, I'm living here. Don't you think that when you leave here and go home, and you and you live in this nice big house, like how is your house paid for? What do you think I live when I go home? You think like I go and, Grab got a bunch of uh newspapers and kind of make a hut of newspapers underneath <laughs> it. Like, what are you talking about? So I completely wow. Yeah, but,
1: so ignorant, yeah,
0: <laughs> you know. But this is kind of like the impression, um, that that's some what that, that sometimes comes about, and you're like, okay,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> these people really a lot of whites don't really know the process they don't they can't distinguish like you said the refugees they can't distinguish a refugee even in some cases refugees coming to the country if the kids are over 18 years of age they have the parents have to pay some 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 kind of fees for being in this country so it's not entirely free they think we're here to take over their jobs you know you what and if they're if there were
1: i took a job of a white man i'm a welder are you kidding me
0: (laughs) and a woman at that so wow (laughs) i'm here to
1: take your jobs
0: boys
1: (laughs) but yeah um the thing is if we're here to take a job so there's an existing job and if you're unemployed you're not taking that job and an immigrant is taking it right what were you doing (laughs) you know
0: sleeping waiting for the government to help out yeah. That's interesting. Um, so <clears throat> do you think that the world is changing in wake of, uh, the murder of Floyd, George Floyd?
1: I, I definitely think so. It's, um, it's brought so many conversations between me and people that have never spoken to racism with me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I see, I see multiple social media platforms focusing and really zoning in on it. You know, the, the momentum is tapering off, but it's not dying down. It's Mm -hmm. not dying down. It's still going strong. And I think, and I think the influx of the information that's out there is what's important because it's reaching people that were able to just ignore it this whole time. Now we're just zoning in. I was talking to my hairstylist yesterday and she's like, I don't even watch the news and I don't know why there's so much police activity, you know, and I filled her in, she was open-minded, you know, because, you know, having police presence everywhere is on her mind. So I could fill her in on the context in which, why they're there, you know, and, and I think that's important. Whereas, you know, a year ago, she probably wouldn't have engaged in conversation with me. Oh, about hell it. No. Right. Yeah, not at all.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no. so we look at this, Let's go to the officers that were involved. So three out of the the four officers that were involved in this murder um, is out on bail. Um, what do you think that that says about our society?
1: Really, that just means that the bail system is put in place to keep black men in prison. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you can't afford bail, then you're waiting trial, and that could take years sometimes. Right. And, and with, with the instances of these white officers, a million dollar bail is high, but it's nothing that they can't crowdfund. You know what I mean? Right. GoFundMe, put it up for five days, they have the million dollars from all their supporters, all their Blue Lives Matter crowd right. to get out of jail. Right. And it, and it benefits people like that, whether or not you come from a rich family already, or whether or not you have connections, or whether or not you just have whiteness backing you, as being a white cop, white murder cop does, you know, it comes with the comes with the job, you have all this support.
0: Yeah, it baffles me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. but why do you think that that kind of um, courtesy isn't extended for a black person who get put in jail for, for weed and he's probably stuck there for a longer time? Why isn't there like a GoFundMe page for that black individual or any other individual for that matter, aside from white? Cause I've seen it over and over again. It's not just with police officer. We've seen it with other murderers, George yes. Zimmerman. We've seen it with the kid that shot up that uh, white church. I mean the black church. So yes. Yeah.
1: It's almost as if it's almost as if the crowd is voting with their money when they see a white person. A white person that goes and kills a minority. They see it as thank you here's my contribution to help you <laughs> with carrying out my dirty work. You know what right, I mean? Right. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah.
0: Um, let's move on to race based data in Canada. Okay. Because, you know, um, are you familiar with this at all? Like, are you familiar with the race based data thing in Canada?
1: Uh, from what I see in news lately is based that race based data, in context to COVID, so it they're exists. not collecting they're not collecting race based data on, on people who's been treated, people who's been diagnosed. Is COVID what you're talking about?
0: No, I was talking race based data in context to um, police brutality, um, in context to what goes on in the street with indigenous people, with uh, you know racism. Because a lot of people, sometimes I get accused of knowing so much about what's going on with the American, on the American side in terms of racism. But that information I find is almost hard to get your hands on here in Canada.
1: It really is, because I haven't really seen anything and I kind of uh, made the assumption that it was available, which is wrong, wrong. Um, I, I I have read some stats on on carding, on carding people, um, mm-hmm. obviously black and indigenous get carded way more than whites. That data right. is available. But as far as um, police work goes, I haven't seen anything.
0: Do you think that the government should jump on top of that? Do you think that they should start? Oh yeah. With,
1: yeah. A hundred percent. The fact that that isn't already a thing speaks a lot to how how little of a problem how how little of a problem that they think it is. They don't mm-hmm. even think it's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. But then to collect data means that they have to face the data once it's collected. Relation,
0: yeah. Do you think they'd be willing to do that at all? And why do you think that's important?
1: 100% it's important because without it, without it, you know, you get, you get a bunch of keyboard worries are like, show me the data. Like what happened with the, um, at the parliament meeting as well was, mm-hmm. um, Alan Thiran was saying how Well, I think we should put money into research and see how, if there is even racial bias (laughs) in policing, right? It's because he can say that because there's no data out there. Right. So instead of putting in action to move forward, he's just calling for more data, which doesn't help us in the meantime. People Mm. are dying.
0: um how comfortable you feel with answering these questions but we will give it a run and see um do you think that black Lives matter protest is effective
1: a hundred percent and it's not even what i think it's it's documented that all these changes are happening because of the protest the officer got arrested because of the protest you know um some some cities like la are looking to defunding their police force because of the protest. I think it's, I think it's great.
0: Okay. Um, do you think that we should look at, um, other alternative and what what would you suggest?
1: Alternative, uh, maybe not an alternative, but maybe an add on is to rework our education systems. Okay. I think, I I think schools really need to be teaching this and not from a biased point of view and don't leave it up to the teachers to teach their side of it. I want, I want textbook, no holds barred truths to be taught in schools.
0: But wouldn't that require teachers to basically go sit back in classroom and kind of relearn this history that they didn't learn when they were-
1: Tough work, (laughs) but you gotta do it. If you're committed to anti-racism work, do the work.
0: Yeah. You you have to go ahead and do the work. Just Uh, do it. (laughs) I should probably, should politicians be taking the knees or should they be changing the laws?
1: Oh, that's too easy of a question. <laughs> I know, I know. But Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a cultural thing, but white people love symbolism. They okay. love symbols of solidarity and they love symbols of good doing. You know what right. I mean? Like right. everything that they do is based on symbols. Like, you know, right. they would, they love the pink ribbon for breast cancer black box on Instagram, and they love cops kneeling, and they love Justin Trudeau kneeling. But you know what all of those do? For us minorities, it does nothing. You know right. what I mean? And if you're a person in position of power, you have so much you could do, right. so much actions you could take to make an actual difference than a symbol. A symbol doesn't do anything. And a symbol, put out this soon without any changes made, I think it's, it's too early. Put the symbol out after changes have been made, you know? to celebrate change they made, yeah. I like that. Like, like I, if they want to celebrate, they can celebrate, but after the work has been done. I think it's too early. And it takes away from what needs to be done, the actions that needs to be taken.
0: Um, another thing too, I mean, so much has happened since I spoke to you about this podcast and I went on with my so So yeah. um, other things that came up. So Justin Trudeau, prior to this point, before him coming up and saying, hey, there's racism here. We seen a few incidences with the indigenous chief who was beaten um, and uh, and uh, when the police chief came on, he said, hey, there's no uh, racial biases going on within the cop community or the RCMP, whatever. And then we heard from a uh, Ford of Toronto, the mayor there who also said, you know, racism isn't even a thing.
1: I think we need to stop asking white men if racism is a thing. They're the wrong group to be asking. Right. Why are you asking white? Like, you know, why is the media asking white men if there is racism? Who are they?
0: Why the do you beneficiaries
1: think that... of racism?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think that the media is getting from all this, and why isn't the media? Why doesn't the media cover these these stories that go on in in Canada? um just as they will cover the situation the horrible situation that took place in halifax remember that yes yeah why don't they cover it
1: when there's it's, julie uh,
0: chang involved versus when there's halifax and a bunch of uh, caucasian people are involved with that situation
1: it's it's kind of like um you know how cbc has cbc news and then they have cbc indigenous and then what they do is they take all all the news that affects indigenous people all the murders that happen all the violence that happens or anything really and they put it on cbc indigenous i, I do know that cbc does have um indigenous peoples working for them and right. reporting for them and stuff like that but what happens when the public doesn't see news like that right right it because it's deemed it's deemed a niche news and it's deemed only important to them but it's like no no it's like these they are suffering within our Canadian system as a whole. Right. And when, when you have such tailored news because it's seen fringe, it doesn't help anyone.
0: So we but don't they have, have much... much. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Sorry, sorry. Uh, they kind of pegging the system on like, oh, because let's say, I'm gonna use domestic violence as an example. Domestic mm-hmm. violence is not a women's problem you know what i mean it's a men's issue and same thing for indigenous issues it's not an indigenous issue it's a colonialist issue mm. you know you don't you cannot put the the issue on the person that is on the group that is suffering because in order to make changing to look at who is causing the suffering so when you're putting the news of all the suffering to this community that's suffering that doesn't do any good mm-hmm. right The media needs to shine light on it to the rest of us, you know, who benefits from white supremacy, Mm -hmm. myself included, right?
0: Do you think that Canada should um, encourage more news network in Canada to cover the situation that is going on, just like we see in the United States? Because I really feel like the only reason why we see these things coming up in the United States is because every community has the news channel.
1: That's right. Um, our news tend to, I mean, at the end of the day, they are just money-making machines, right? So it's whatever sells. And Canada love to think of itself as the non-problematic country in Mm -hmm. comparison to United States. So for the media to spin it any other way, I mean, I, I'm not in charge of what news gets run, but those who are, I can almost bet you what kind of method they are. So
0: Okay, so we're going to go down to your final thoughts here. And uh, yeah, we're going to shut it down. Uh, What is your prediction going forward in terms of all these racial injustice things that's going on? What do you hope to see Canada do and what do you see happening?
1: Well, I hope Canada apologizes to Jagmeet Singh, first of all. Um, Canada needs to recognize its own racial problems. Um, Right now, we're still in the denial stage, really. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as George Floyd, I mean, all I can hope for is that some justice is served and that the family feels like justice has been served. Um, well, will we see it? I, I'm personally not an optimistic person when it comes to, you know, people getting the proper time served, if, especially if they're a white cop, but mm-hmm. I mean, i i mean i've been proven wrong i've been proven wrong before so i mean when the first when the first protest started with george floyd and all i'm thinking back to is ferguson i'm thinking back to all these other times you know the black community has been brutalized and then stood up and then nothing nothing really happens so Mm -hmm. but now i'm seeing i'm seeing the momentum and you know what maybe things are changing maybe i shouldn't be so pessimistic (laughs) you know Yeah. yeah
0: yeah no fair enough well julie chang i want to thank you so much for being here on the episode today and and i know it was all wrapped up in a short period of time but i would love to have you back again in the future so we can have more conversation and of course this episode will probably air sometime next week among all the other stuff that i have going on um so all of the social network is do you have instagram at all i do okay so we need to link up there on instagram and uh, i do have a website coming up very soon where we have all these different things there and also have the podcast finally being released on apple and (laughs) and everything so i want to thank you so much um for joining us today and just to say goodbye here to the guests very quickly um Guys, thank you for joining us and let us know what is your thought. Let us know if this is something you learned from and let us know what kind of subjects that we should probably be uh, questions, even suggested questions and, you know, that you want to ask and things that you are concerned about yourself and that we can, I can do for you by bringing people on here. And if you want to come to, on the podcast as well, let me know. We will, you know, figure things out and, uh, and bring you on. Julie Chane, thank you so much. Any final words? Thank you so much for having me.